It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training. Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Randy Gage. Randy, welcome to the show. Welcome to Become Your Own Superhero. How are you, sir? I, I'm great. Thanks for having me on with you. Well, thank you for coming on, Randy, and you're beaming in from the uh, beautiful state of Florida over in the US of A. Currently going through a similar sort of scenario to the rest of the world with regards to a bit of COVID-19. What are you doing right now to stay positive, focused, and with your eye on the prize? Well, uh, full disclosure, I'm a lonely hermit anyway. <laughs> so I'm happiest when I'm hunched over my laptop in my lonely writer's garret working on my next book. So uh, being in self-isolation is kind of a permanent thing for me. So when I'm in quarantine, there's not a whole lot of difference in my life. But it did make me crazy at the start because I'm I'm all about routines, right? I have routines for everything and routines for my day. And part of it was I'd go down to the gym first thing, 5.30, 6 a.m., and I would do cardio. Um, and then I, I just I'd go to the gym in my condo here. And then I'd come up and I write and have my protein shake and do my self-development time and everything. And then around mid-morning, I'd go back to the gym and do some resistance training. And so doing that, I actually met other human beings and had conversations with them and left the confines of my apartment. Um, and then when they shut down the gym and the quarantine started and I went into self-isolation, I didn't want to get infected. I didn't want to get anyone else infected. Um, it was really a change. And I was trying to figure out how to do workouts that I could do in my house. And then I realized that and still I always got out and I played softball and had softball practice. So I had stuff where I went out and got fresh air and sunshine and that wasn't happening. And I started just getting really discombobulated. And then I realized, okay, I've got to rework my routine. I got to find a home workout that works. I need to get outside every day, even if it's just go for a walk and get some sunshine and fresh air. And so I did stuff like that and I kind of worked on a new routine. And now the kind of the, the quarantines are lifting, the restrictions are less onerous. And so I'm feel like I'm in a pretty good state again, working on the kind of stuff that I want to be working on. 
I find that really interesting, Randy. Uh, you talk about you know being this reclusive hermit, and and yet, as far as I can tell, you're a uh, an international speaker, motivational speaker, and amongst other things, which we'll get to in a minute. But uh, has that has that evolved over the last few years? Have you now focused more on your writing? I know you've written a number of books. I think you've written thirteen books now at this point. Yeah. Well, the thing is. I can speak to a crowd of 10,000 people. doesn't phase me in the least. I don't have stage fright. I don't get nervous before. Because that's my platform. I control that, right? So because I control it, it doesn't bother me. But if I get invited to a dinner party and I have to make stupid conversation, you know, how's the weather? You know, what do you think about the – forget it. I'm a mess, Right. Um, so in that sense, being a speaker and traveling and doing all that has never been <clears throat> an issue for me. I love going to other countries and cultures and hearing other languages and seeing other places. Um, but I'm just an introverted person. And once I know you, I'm your best friend for life. And, you know, we're instant connection. But until then, it takes I've got a little social anxiety that I have to work through. Um, but on the other part of the question, it is true kind of the last few years, I've changed my focus more that I used to think of myself as a professional speaker who wrote books. Now I would definitely define myself as a writer who speaks. So they want to hear the guy who wrote the book, so they bring me in, but really well, like I say, I'm happiest when I'm hunched over my laptop working on my next book. Um, that's really the, and, and that was kind of one of the things I figured out in my routine stuff that, hey, if I'm not working on my next book, I'm depressed. I'm out of sorts. Writing is that important to me. At what stage in your life, Randy, did you work work out that writing had become that important to you? What happened? Really was just the last few years. I mean, I always wanted to be a writer. As a teenager, I was this voracious reader, and I kept saying, man, I'm going to write a book when I grow up. And um, I, I, I wrote my first book, I think, in 96. So that was finally like the culmination. But I didn't see myself as a full-time writer or as a, you know, the profession of writing, um, it was just part of my business thing. I was doing trainings and workshops and people kept saying, you got to write a book. We want a book from you. Put all your stuff in a book. And so that was the, the impetus originally. And then I started blogging and I've probably done 15,000 blog posts. So that got, that's when I really became where like, okay, it's, it's, if I want to be a good writer, I need to write every day. So the blog was a good conduit for that. And, um, then the last few years, it was like the, the security, the restrictions, travel, the hassles were getting to be so much. I love to be in a place like right now, Australia. I love Australia, right? Uh, you know, I've told you before, I had an apartment in Sydney for five or six years. Uh, I miss, I was there maybe not, I think 2018 or 2019 was the last time I was in Sydney and I just went back for a couple of weeks to 
hang out. And like, I'd love to go to Sydney right now again, but to be on an airplane for 15 hours wearing a mask, mm, then doesn't that part I don't like. Um, so I just kind of the last few years realized hey, I, I, I want to, I'm going to jack up the fees for my speeches, make it uh, that I have less clients, but the same amount of income and do less wear and tear on my body on, you know, bodies aren't human body isn't made to be flying around in the cylinder pressurized at 10,000 feet. Um, hours at a time and it's tough on your body and I'm just and I'm entering the horizon to where the years of my life where the horizon is closer to me than it is behind me <laughs> and uh, I just thought you know I need to be nicer to my body and I'm going to travel less and write more well I, I know how old you are uh, in my research and you look <laughs> you look great and and with a bit of modern science uh, and some advancements, you know, like there's no reason why maybe 150 is not on the horizon, Randy. So, you know, it's all about what's up here, I suppose. Um, with regards to your blog writing, there was something that struck me uh, that I found really interesting. At one point, I, I saw something, might have been a few years ago now, that you were, you had written or composed the most number of tweets ever yeah. on Twitter. Is that right? I was the most, I had, I was the most, um, I tweeted more than any human being on earth at that time. There was, which I never imagined or strived for or wanted to be or anything, but just I came across somebody shared, oh, did you see your number one in the world on the, and I'm like, and what? And, and the people who tweet, the most tweets. And I'm like, what? Send me a link. So I go to a link and it was the list of all the people in the world who, had tweeted the most, and I was the number one tweeter in the world. <laughs> Which is funny because that was very, it was not a conscious thing to do, but one of the things, one of the things I do for success every year is two to three times a year, I go down to Key West and I just work on me. And I pack it. There used to be a lot of CDs and DVDs and albums that you would buy. And of course, this stuff has gone more digital now. So, but I used to take when I first started doing it, it'd be a box. I might have eight or 10 books in the box and a couple of DVD albums and audio albums. And I would just go there with and journal and I would, cause I buy everything, you know, there's a six, VD CD course on this and the eight CDs and do okay I buy it buy it buy it throw it all in a corner in my office and then I go down to Key West and say okay I'm going to go down for four days and just and then I would process it so I'd open a book and okay and I get in 10 pages and you know what nothing here for me I'm leaving it for the mate open up the next album I'm listening to okay something good here Brett I'm leaving it for the mate and uh, I would just go through all of this stuff. And um, so one of my trips there was, okay, so this social media thing is not going, it's not a fad. It's not going away. Uh, I need to become proficient at so social media. And this Twitter thing seems to be the biggest buzz. So I'm going to start with that. And I'm going to join Twitter and follow people and see how Twitter is done. And so that's what I did. And uh, I, I devoted two hours a day 
to social media, promoting my books and blogs and building up my brand and stuff. And so I was tweeting hundreds of times a day. And then at some point I had like, you know, 50,000 tweets and I was the number one guy in the world. <laughs> and now I think I'm not even probably on the list because you have all these bots that, you know, send out 5,000 tweets a day or whatever they do. And, and one of the things that I found extraordinary about that whole experience, Randy, was that you used that to promote one of your books and it became a bestseller. Yeah, I, I think if you're an author, speaker, coach, consultant, political leader, thought leader, just someone who's an agent of change who wants to make a difference in the world, I think in today's, and I was actually funny, I was just talking about this yesterday. I did a podcast for musicians that it's not my market. It's not my, I don't, I'm not a musician really, but they asked me to be on and talk about the pandemic and how you get through it, and how to develop prosperity consciousness through it. And one of the things I was telling them is I believe there's a lot of similarities between me as a writer and them as musicians that we're all artists and, and all entrepreneurs are really artists. And so now I think in the reality today, you know, like them, I was saying there's no record company that has to get between you and your people who want your music. Right. With the if you're a filmmaker, the you know, the the HD camera that's in this iPhone of mine. Fifteen years ago would have cost you two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You would literally pay a quarter of a million dollars for an HD camera that you could film a movie with. And now you have it in your, your smartphone. Um, and Spotify and Patreon and, and blogs and podcasts. I mean, there's just no reason that any artist can't connect direct with his or her tribe. And so what I have to do and what I think all of us have to do is you say, okay, I need to determine what's the ratio for me. How much time should I spend creating content and how much time should I spend promoting my content? Like, you know, as a, you were right. I've done 13 books. Number 14 will come out next year. Uh, no publisher has ever lost money on a book by me. And I want to make sure when I die, that's still true. So when I have a new book come out, I'm going to promote it. Because that's part of the game. The I, I don't, in a sense, I do write my books for myself, but I still want other people to read them. I have a message I want to share through them. And so you create the ratio. And so, like, for me, I'm a, I want to work from, I want to work 10 hours a day, right? I like to start 5, 6 in the morning, go to 5, 6 at night. Uh, and I'm going to have my break for my cardio and my gym and my lunch and dinner and whatever. But you know, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. I want to write and and produce and, and and work. And then after that, I want to be like real people and go to dinner and meet friends or watch a movie or whatever the case may be. Um, but I realized, okay, I've got to. If you're a writer like me, you're you're in essence a sole proprietor. 
And I bet a lot of people watching and listening to us right now are sole proprietors. And so you got to say, if you're doing the business, you're not getting the business. If you're getting the business, you're not doing the business. So uh, I go through these feast or famine cycles. And then it's, I'd go out and drum up business, drum up, drum, and then I'd have some good business and I'd be doing it. And then I'd wake up and say, wow, I don't have any more speeches booked right now. I don't have anything coming up, any seminars. And so I realized, okay, I need to take a certain amount of every day and promote. And that's what I was doing when I first joined Twitter. And I said, I put two hours a day into promoting. And that's kind of the the ratio I believe all entrepreneurs we have to set. Like, okay, how, how many hours are you going to work a day? Is it eight? Is it 10? You know, what's the number? Okay, you got eight, I have nine to five. Okay, great. From nine to five, how much of that time can you dedicate to promoting your work and then how much time can you do creating for me that's writing my blog posts writing my books uh recording my podcast right so you got to find that ratio and i think when you first start off you've got to over index on the promotion because nobody's ever heard of you or your work and then as you start to build market gravity you can dial back the promotion and so like for me now it's about an hour a day I'm going to do in promotional stuff. So I'm going to post my, I'm going to write a blog and then I'm going to post it on my Facebook, uh, uh, follower page and my personal page and my LinkedIn profile. And I'm going to tweet it out and I'm going to Instagram it. And you know, I'm going to respond to those and the people who retweet it and connect with people, whatever. And then I've got nine hours that I can write and be creative. And I think we all have to find what's that ratio that we want to do, that we need to do to be successful with our work. I'm sure there's some people looking at you, Randy, and thinking, you know, he came from an Ivy League university and, you know, had this really uh, extraordinary upbringing. But that's not the case at all. And I just wondered if you'd be happy to share some of your background with our audience. Because I, I think it's really important. I think it's fascinating too. Yeah, I'm a high school dropout, and that's kind of embellishing it when I say that because I was actually expelled from high school in the, in the in ninth grade um, because I was expelled because I was in jail for armed robbery and burglaries, and they I had missed so many days, and I was a teenage alcoholic, a teenage drug addict made a lot of really poor choices and ended up in jail. As you might expect, the, you know, armed robbery doesn't have a great retirement program. And uh, so that was at, at 15 years old, I was in jail. Uh, and uh, I did never finish high school. I went and got the, you know, the equivalency diploma because I wanted to go and take some courses at colleges. So I've done that. You know, I want to study different things. So, um, but I don't have degrees in anything. I certainly, my, my mother was a single mom who raised three kids by herself, knocking on doors, selling Avon. Um, and that was back in the day when it, it really was knocking on the door. It wasn't like she was a secretary who took a catalog to her office and shared with her coworkers. No, my mom went out knocking on door after door. Hey, would you like to buy some Avon products? And that's how she raised three kids. Um, so we were poor. Um, I knew I was poor. 
You know, you see the people are being interviewed on TV and they're like, we were poor, but we didn't know it. There was so much love in our house. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. Because, <laughs> you know, I was poor and I knew it. Okay. And I hated it. So I resolved that when I grew up, I was no longer going to be poor. And that was a circuitous journey and it took me a while, but uh, I did accomplish that and become a wealthy person. But through drive and hard work and, you know, being mindful about that and, and really going after it. Well, it's an extraordinary story, Randy, and it resonates with me in in many ways. Uh, I didn't quite end up in jail, thankfully, but I was certainly raised by a single mother who was raising three boys. And, uh, you know, my, my father was involved, but because they were, they were divorced and he was, had his own life, um, you know, we, we grew up with nothing. I've, you know, when we, when we connected with either, with each other, I gave you a bit of a background of my story and having dealt with drugs and alcohol and gambling and this other stuff, found myself at the age of 40 ha- having, um, in my own humble way, very self-developed, having achieved phenomenal success in almost every area of my life, apart from the financial. And, and I had this amazing roadmap planned that was literally about to kick off in March of 2020 when COVID-19 hit and has totally derailed all of the plans that I had there. And I'm, and I'm not upset about it, uh, per se, but I'm, I'm a little bit lost at the moment about, all right, now I've got to, I've got to relearn another formula. What are some, what are some things that I can do or that people watching or listening to this can do to help them that were helpful for you? Well, I think back to that interview I did with the music industry people yesterday. Um, because one of the things, uh, uh, the host said was, uh, you know, we're musicians. We're out of the box people anyway. So how, and I was like, well, let's really question that. Are you really out of the box people or not? Because if I look at most artists and I do a lot of philanthropic, uh, work in the arts, so, and I enjoy the arts, right? So I'm, I'm privy to dance troops and opera companies and film festivals and musicians and people like that. And I'd say, I don't see any out of the box thinking. I see operas still trying to run their operas the way they were run 400 years ago. And that's why it's a dying art form. I think the, the way people go about putting together a dance troupe today is the same as it was a hundred years ago. Um, the musicians, you know, are, have they really gone out of the box? I mean, Prince went out of the box, but how many people since Prince have done that, right? So it would be the same for you and anyone else. I would say, okay, let's just realize that all the rules have changed. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. And when shakeups like this happen, like me, so I'm a, I, I, you know, I have this pretty substantial business since 1991 as a professional speaker. So I've spoken to more than 2 million people over 50 different countries, right? So this was a pretty thriving business for me. Um, so mid-February, first, second week of February, the pandemic really hits here. 
and I had uh, almost a million dollars worth of business evaporate within 10 days. <laughs> 10 days, right? Just evaporate. Like, sorry, no, the gig is off. We're not, we don't even, you know, we have no idea when we'll ever do another <clears throat> convention again. And so that rocked my world and I'm, and I, my routine gets disrupted. And so now personally, mentally, I'm feeling out of sorts and I've all this business evaporated from the books. But then this whole other, and, and so I think it was really easy for me for the first month, like, whoa, I'm, I'm a victim here. How, you know, how can I, I'm getting kicked in the teeth here. And then I recognized, well, you know what? This there really is a lot of opportunities here. And so I had some speeches that, you know, I had a group of 5000 people that I was supposed to speak to in Oslo. And then the pandemic happened and they said, well, we're going to live stream it instead. And instead of 5000 people, I I talked to like 20,000 people because they had distributors all over the world. And a lot of them weren't going to fly to Oslo and be there for that event. And then I had a company down in Mexico, same thing. And we broadcast that. And now I'm speaking to 15 or 18,000 people. And I realized, wow, there's, you know, it's a different type of platform, but it's a new opportunity. And I had done some virtual presentations because sometimes that was their budget. They couldn't afford to fly me in somewhere and they would want to do a virtual thing. But then with the pandemic, it became a really vibrant part of my business. And then I realized, wow, I'm doing a bunch. I'm doing more meetings now than I used to do, you know, before the pandemic. But the the group had changed. So, yeah, sometimes I'm speaking to 20,000 people, but a lot of times it's four people or seven people. It's the executive team. And we're just doing a Zoom conference, and really they're hiring me for my critical thinking abilities. Saying, hey, we got supply chain issues. You know, we have ingredients that come from Asia. We can't get them in. We can't manufacture the products. How are we going to handle this? What do we do? And I'm helping plan strategy for them. So I've become more of a strategic advisor. Um, that was something I never build myself as. You know, had a client in Europe. They were like, hey, we're here and the border is going to close. We don't even know if we're going to be in business next month because we may not be able to get our, I was like, dude, I want you to go out right now, get the biggest warehouse you can find and just put down cash and rent that warehouse and you bring in all the inventory you can get in. So he did that. And then I'm like, literally hang up the phone now, Google warehouses for rent. Jot down the addresses, jump in the car and do that right now. And you call your supplier. He was getting his stuff from Central Europe. I was like, you call them, get it in. As soon as... So he he stocked up six months worth of inventory in this warehouse that he got. And five days later, Germany closed the border and he would have been out of business. What? And he actually has a product line that is really a good line to have in a time like this. It's got air purification systems and stuff that it was, you know, a wonder. So he's had record month after record month after record month. So instead of me flying there and speaking to his team, it was me being a strategic advisor. Um, And so that, I, you know, I would say the same thing for you or anyone else is, we don't get to pick 
how our clients need us. Our job is just to add value to our clients. So, you know, how do we create prosperity? There's really just two ways we create prosperity. Number one is we solve problems. And number two is we add value. So if you can solve someone's problem, they will joyfully, lovingly, gratefully crawl naked over broken glass and throw money at you, right? <laughs> if you if you wake up Sunday morning and you've got an abscess infected tooth and it's throbbing, you're just going to jump on Google and you're going to look for a dentist that does emergency visits on the weekend, right? You're not looking for coupons or discounts or early bird. You're like, I have this problem and I need it to go away. And what if the dentist says, yes, I have special office hours on Sunday and it's $900. You're going to thank you. I'll be right there. And, you know, whereas if it was Wednesday at 10 a.m., you had a cavity, you did $900. Are you out of your mind? I can get this for 400, you know, Um so anytime you can solve problems, people will pay you for that. Anytime you can add value, you can show someone how to make their process quicker, uh, less inexpensive, more productive, produce more units, whatever the case may be, if you can add value in some way. So um, same thing with you, even as a superhero Right. You may not be able to fly there in your cape and tights like you normally would. You may have to do it through Zoom, but you can still do it through Zoom. So it's like be willing, be open minded and willing to look at, you know, how you can really get out of the box, not just say, oh, yeah, I'm an out of the box thinker. But like, no, okay, it doesn't matter that everybody's done this this way for decades. What's a new, better way that I could do this? Well, it's funny you say that, Randy. Today, I actually ran my very first webinar for, uh, it was called Secrets of Small Talk. And one of the things that I, that I really took for granted was this, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, have always been an extrovert. My father was a, a very successful radio announcer and I've dedicated the last few years to learning and understanding the art of using my voice as an instrument and getting to this whole speaker. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, arena, as you'd know, and, and I put this thing out. We only had seven people. It was the first one I've done, and I made a mistake making it a Zoom webinar because I couldn't see their faces. So I just spoke for like an hour 20 to the camera lens. Um, we managed to get some Q&A in there, thankfully, and, and make it quite mm-hmm. interactive. And, and it was, you know, $27 a ticket or whatever. Um, I need to hone that type of thing down because yeah, there's some yeah. some opportunity. What what are some there's of the a areas? big opportunity there, right? And then you and there are people who are just Zoom savants and they got the breakout rooms and they give people uh, items to hang hold up in the screen and participate and they're working the comments and they got three different screens and if you really want to. In my choice, I choose not to do that. I'm not really a tech guy. I'm, I'm an old guy, not a tech guy. So I'm going to be, all right, I'm here talking with you. Like I have one this weekend. I've got a, uh, we're calling it the Prosperity Warrior Journey. It's a three-week uh, course I'm doing with Tim Shore, who's a psychologist. And we're just dealing with the the mental aspects of prosperity and success and how you overcome worthiness issues and things like that. 
And so we'll have the Zoom room and we'll have some interaction and participation, but I'm not, I'm not crazy on the tech stuff. So I'm not going to, it's, it'll be low tech, but it'll still give me the chance to connect with people who really want to do that and interact with them. Um, and that's the, the future of the near future for a lot of what we do. And it'll be the future. I mean, what the pandemic did is it forced a lot of us to do things that we were going to have to learn how to do anyway. Right. My mother is like 85 years old and the pandemic has forced her to learn how to order items on the Internet that she, you know, I, I bought her a computer probably 10 years ago and set it up and taught her how to get email and answer email and stuff. So she, she had a computer, she had it, but she never bought anything on. She never, and she learned now, okay, I need to get my groceries delivered. I need to go, you know, and I walk her through how to do that. And but so now she can buy anything online. Well, the pandemic happened. Probably she never learned that. She would have just gone through the rest of her life knowing that she can always go to the store and she doesn't have to learn how to buy something on the Internet. And I could have gone through my life and not learned how to operate Zoom. Right. But the pandemic forced me and forced her and forced all of us to to it really accelerated a lot of growth and change that was going to happen anyway. Well, I had planned to start this journey about six months from now, which was a year from when the pandemic hit, and and it forced me into doing it like that. And it ended up being the greatest blessing in disguise. This podcast, Mm -hmm. Randy, uh, at this point in time in 2020, recorded, this is the 53rd episode since late April. And and in that time, um, yeah, and and I mentioned offline. Good on you. Good on you. Thank you. And we've had some of the most... You know, yourself included, some of the most extraordinary speakers, you know, uh, elite level athletes. We had Les Brown came on who's, who inspired my book in mid-May, which I committed to the end of June, which I wrote 30,000 words of bet on you, which will be published later this year, uh, at least online. And it's been a real, real blessing. The, the challenge that I have, Randy, is that at the end of last year, I was sort of recovering from a, a, a failed business in an arena that wasn't what I was passionate about. And I'm, and I'm grateful that I figured out my purpose on this planet, but I was already starting from, you know, below ground zero <laughs> and, uh, from a financial point of view. So I'm kind of like, I'm in that limbo where I'm like, okay, Laban, you got to figure this out now. And, uh, got a new fiance and, you know, we want to plan a family as soon as we can. So I, I, as soon as I figure out this money making, um, you know, <laughs> exercise, I don't really have any other challenges in my life at the moment apart from that. Yeah, and I don't even want, I don't even want to hear you affirm that that's your challenge because I don't think it is a challenge. I don't think the fact that you had this other business that didn't work has to have any bearing on this new business whatsoever, right? You just have to approach it like anyone else would who was, uh, uh, starting a startup business and didn't have enough capital. So, okay, so I don't have a lot of capital, so I'm going to have to figure how do I attract investors or how do I build up the cash flow in a sustainable way that allow me to live and grow the business at the same time. And that's the song and dance that entrepreneurs have done forever. Like people, 
People ask me all the time, uh, like I'm in the uh, the Speaker Hall of Fame. So when I meet speakers, they're like, oh, my God, how did you do your business? It was so amazing. You have such a successful business. I was like, and I always tell them, well, you know, we have a, I'm in the National Speakers Association. And then we have a chapter, the Florida Speakers Association. So when I joined the Florida Speakers Association in 1991, which is when I opened my business to be a quote unquote speaker, um, the check for $95 that I wrote bounced. So that's how I started my speaking career was a $95 check to the Florida Speakers Association, which bounced because I didn't have enough money in the bank for that. And I did $300,000 in business my first year. People say, wow, amazing. How were you? So-? No, understand. I did $300,000 worth of business the first year, but I probably lived on less than $11,000. I lived like a pauper because I poured everything back into the business. I was doing public seminars, right? And I didn't know that you're supposed to lose money to begin with and grow. I didn't have the option of losing money because I needed to feed my cat, right? So I just, and back in, there was no internet when I started in 91. You weren't doing Facebook ads. You were renting mailing lists, printing brochures, and mailing them in the mail. A lot of you listening, you're going to have to Google this, but there was these things, they were called stamps, and they went on envelopes, and they were delivered to mailboxes, and people like opened them up and read, and Randy is coming to Dallas doing his seminar, blah, blah, blah. Here's the date. Here's the thing. Call 1-800-432-GAGE and reserve your spot, right? So I was just, I'd do a seminar. There were 17 people in Dallas on Saturday and 23 people in Houston on Sunday. And so I'd take in, uh, you know, 30,000 bucks or maybe 15,000 bucks. And I would put 13,000 of that buying more mailing lists and printing more mailing for my seminar a month later. And so I took in 300,000 and change and lived on like 11. The second year I did 660,000 in, in revenue and maybe I lived on $25,000. All right. I was flying all across the country, a little bit of international at that point, but mostly U.S. Uh, in the economy section, the middle row, middle seat row 33 next to the lab, you know, hating every part of that, uh, torture. But I did what I had to do to grow the business. And then the third year, I broke a million dollars in sales. And that's when I started to, like, pay myself a salary of, you know, 50 grand a year or whatever it was. Um, but that's that's the entrepreneur story. You know, how many years did Jeff Bezos have a door on top of two file cabinets for his desk at Amazon? Right. That's how he grew that company. And now he's. Him and Elon are kind of dueling over who's the wealthiest man on the planet right now. Um, but that's what entrepreneurs do, right? So the fact that you had this other venture and it, it's irrelevant, really. You're just, you're in the entrepreneur dance that all entrepreneurs have had to do since time immemorial. So relish it, you know, dive into it, enjoy it, know it's all part of the journey. 
And it's just a, it's going to cause you to be a better entrepreneur. Damn it. I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've, um, wondered at times, Randy, because a lot of the, the, a lot of the amazing stuff that you talk about and that you've written about is, is regarding this, uh, this abundance mindset or, but, you know, um, getting rid of a lot of limiting beliefs that time around money. Yeah. Do you recognize anything and anything that I've said apart from what you've already called out that might be some limiting beliefs regarding being able to take on money? Um, the, 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 the danger for the ultimate question we're all going to get to is, do I want to be a victim or do I want to be a victor? And why I kind of push you back, push back on you and say, hey, let's not even talk about that last thing as a challenge, because that's living in victimhood to start with. Right. I got a fiance now. We want to have a family where mm, got to be careful there. We might be trying to live in victimhood there. Um, we want to be, uh, we, you know, we don't want that. We don't want to uh, defend any limiting beliefs. Right. So that's why, you know, people start to say, you know, the problem I have is, and I'm like, wait, 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 let's not affirm that. Whatever you were about to say, let's not affirm that. And they're like, but you don't understand. It's really true. I have. Okay. But every time you say that, you are programming that in your subconscious mind. Um, your homework, by the way, is read my blog that's out today on randygage.com. And for you guys listening, um, oh, I know the name. Um, you have to search it depending on when this podcast gets I'll put published. it in the, in the link below. In the All right, great. Yeah. Um, it's called Speak Your Prosperity into Existence. And it's just all about how we affirm negative things and program them into our subconscious mind. And we know that when we program something in our subconscious mind, it has to happen. Because that mind is just going to continually drive you to take behaviors to fulfill the philosophy or, you know, the the uh, self-fulfilling uh, prophecy that it has created. Right. So you have to recognize the limiting beliefs and then blow them up and replace them with empowering beliefs. And it's the most innocent things you know, the examples I give in the blog. And I did a podcast about this last week, I think probably the same title or something close to it. And for you guys listening, my podcast is called the Power Prosperity Podcast. And it's on every, you know, every platform that does podcasts. Um, but you hear people, so they, there's a contest on the radio, you know, be the 11th caller and win $500 on Hot 105. Hot 105, your caller number six. How about you call her number seven, number eight, hang up. And then they get to number 11. You won $500. Oh my God. Oh my God. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I never win anything. Right. What do you program in yourself when you say those things? Right. Then something bad happened. They drop a dish and they're like, I knew that was going to happen. Well, of course you knew it was going to happen because that's what you program yourself with. So, if you're, well, all the good guys are married or gay, well, what's the reality you're programming into your subconscious mind? Right. So as a writer, especially, I'm just obsessed 
over the words that we choose. That's why I say you speak your prosperity into existence because the words you use are the, are the words that you're programming your subconscious mind with. And, um, so that's really, um, you know, you, and the, the thing is what most of my work is about is all of the mind viruses we get infected with from organized religion, government, the education system, and then the data sphere, you know, TV, radio, internet, social media, which just magnifies all of those previous three causes. And most of the programming is money is bad. Rich people are evil. It's spiritual to be poor or it's noble to be poor. If you want to be a, a successful businessman, you've got to be a bad daddy. If you want to run a successful company, you've got to exploit disadvantaged people and plunder the environment and rip off the stockholders. And, uh, you know, that's all just negative mind viruses that you get infected with and they parasitize the host and cause you to replicate those viruses. So you've got a, my next book in 2021. That's what it's about. It's called radical rebirth and it's about how to kill off the old you and create the new one. And that's what I think we all have to do on a continuous basis. If, if your life is not working, you know, like right now I'm going through what my friends, my close friends who know me, you know, they would look at each other and knowingly nod and say, well, yeah, Randy's going through his fourth midlife crisis, right? <laughs> Cause I've remade my whole self over. Like we were talking about at the start of the show where I just said, you know, I'm going to travel less. I'm going to write more. I want to reconfigure my life in a different way. Right. So, um, I'm doing that all the time. And so, and I'm 61 years old now. Right. So, you say this guy's 61 years old and he's still having another midlife crisis enough already. When is he going to, you know, get to, but my hope is that I actually hang around this planet long enough to have another four or five or six midlife crisis where I kill off the old me and create the new version that I want to become. Uh, and I think that's what the journey of life is really about for us is that, we, 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 you, you have to, it's, it's all about self-awareness. You've got to take yourself up to, you know, whatever is the Aussie equivalent of 35,000 feet, I don't know, whatever meters or 10, whatever 10,000, 11,000 meters roughly. <laughs> yeah. And be able to look at yourself objectively and say, wow, I recognize I have this belief that if I become successful, my friends and family aren't going to like me anymore. Because if I become successful, I'm going to have to sell my soul or I'm going to have to be a bad person. I'm going to have to do bad things. Because every TV, radio, movie, opera, magazine, article, comic book, every one of them, that's the programming they have, 99% of them. Are, are anti, you know, they're biased against money, success, health, and happiness because they need the trauma and the drama. That's what sells books. That what makes people go to movies. That's why people watch television shows. 
Um, so you have to recognize, hey, I'm being programmed with this garbage 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I need to be mindful about it and counter program myself with beliefs that blow up the limiting beliefs and replace them with beliefs that serve me. That's really great, Randy. It's, uh, it is really great. And I've, I've, I have been like phenomenally better in the last couple of years at, at um, using a lot of that positive affirmation, getting rid of the majority of it. There's a bit of legacy stuff there still that I need to, need to work on. I've achieved everything else that I've put my mind to and I'm very proud of that fact. And, uh, it's, yeah, I'm going to get, I'm going to knock this one off and I'm going to revert back to you and I'm going to let you know, uh, when that happened. Uh, yeah, and you will. I can tell because you, you've already shown you know how to, you can get shit done, right? You set a goal, you put the objective, here's what I got to do to do it. And you've been able to do that in many, many areas of your life. So, uh, and a lot of times we we do that because it's easier to work on the external stuff than the internal stuff, right? So it's easy to become the shoemaker with no shoes, right? <laughs> so we all have to say, okay, no, but I also part of my work. If so, if like you, if you're going to create the job title of superhero for yourself, you still have to say, okay, even superheroes need to feed their cat, right? So it's like I told the music people, you know. If, you know, when The Rock has a new movie out, what does he do? He goes on Jimmy Kimmel Live and he promotes it. He goes on The Tonight Show and he promotes it. He goes on Good Morning America and he promotes it. It's just part of the game. People want to hear Rock talk about his new movie and then they decide, I'm going to buy tickets and I'm going to go on opening weekend, right? The When I write a book and it comes out, I'm going to say, well, I need to hit my YouTube show and my podcast and my blog and I need to let people know this book is coming out because I want people to get this book and what I told the musicians was hey if you tell me oh I just want to be a musician and compose music all day and money doesn't matter to me and I'm going to live in a monastery in Tibet and great I have no problem with that at all I celebrate that if you're if you're happy living in a monastery doing work and receiving donations from the villagers. I think that's wonderful. Just don't bitch about it. If that's what you choose. If you say, but I don't want to live in a monastery. I would like to have a nice apartment and a car and be able to go to the cinema and the theater and, you know, okay, then you got to stop being a victim and say, okay, I'm a musician. I make music. So I'm going to have to find a way to support this. Do I do virtual performances? Do I create a Patreon account? Do I get sponsors for my shows? How can I find a way that I can feed my cat and still be a musician or feed my cat and still be a superhero or feed my cat and still found a dance troupe or start a nonprofit organization to build water wells down in Africa, whatever the case may be. Um, this is the mindful choice that we all have to slash get to make. I'm going to need to let you go, Randy, because I know you've got some commitments with some clients in other parts of the world, and it's one minute before the cutoff. Did you want to quickly <laughs> finish on anything before we wrap this up tonight? 
Uh, just to remind everyone listening, I, I get where this pandemic has kicked us all in the teeth in a sense. And, but there's no use whining about it, bitching about it, festering on it. It is what it is, right? The world has changed. Um, I'm actually recording this with him at, on 9-11, which for those of us in the United States is a day of the worst terrorist attack in our country's history, right? So there's a lot of sobering reflection upon that. But we don't live in that past. We learn from that past, right? And the pandemic is going to be the same way. For most everybody listening to this, uh, you will remember 2020 as one of the uh, seminal moments, eras of your life, the way people who lived through World War One and World War Two and the Great Depression uh, remembered those events. That's how we're going to remember 2020. It isn't just you. This The whole world has taken a big kick right now. Um, but that's okay. It has, like I say, there's, there's all kind of hidden blessings there, right? There's all kind of hidden opportunities there. I mean, Jeff Bezos has made an extra $50 billion because he delivers stuff, uh, you know, to homes right now. The, if you're one of the shareholders of Zoom, your stock went from, you know, 12 cents to, to, you know, being worth a, it's a multi-billion dollar company overnight, right? So if you're Uber Eats or DoorDash or one of those delivery services, right? This has been the greatest thing in the world for you, right? For every challenge, there is a corresponding opportunity. And, um, the way we manifest prosperity is through the power of ideas. Right. That's how we translate it on the physical realm. So no matter what life throws at you, you say, OK, what I would say is that nobody listening to this podcast right now has a money problem. If you're short on cash, you have an idea problem. So instead of looking for money, look for better ideas and look for, OK, how can I solve problems? How can I add value? Either way you do either of those, you're going to attract more prosperity into your life. Ladies and gentlemen, Randy Gage. It's Laban Ditchburn, and I really hope you're enjoying the podcast. The reason for this message was this. If you have your own podcast or your own YouTube channel, or you're seriously thinking about starting something up in order to get your message out into the world, I want to make something available to you. Go to podcastingheroes.com for your free five-day video training Well, I will share with you five key tips and tricks that will allow you to reach out and connect with the best podcast guests available. And not only just bring them on, but to develop relationships with them that build into know, like, and trust that will eventuate in you being invited onto their platforms if you so desire. You'll be able to learn how to monetize even if you don't have a big audience. Go to podcastingheroes.com. It's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-I-N-G-H-E-R-O-E-S.com.